I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter and this is the Badass Women's Hour. On this week's show, I'm talking women on marriage certificates and whether we've all given up on bras for good. Plus, the wonderful Tanika Smith and Alex Court tell me all about being in an interracial relationship and what it's taught them about race and dating. And one listener wonders whether it's time to move out of home. Now, never having been married, I'm not necessarily au fait with all the rituals and customs that go with it. So I didn't realise that when you got married and signed the marriage certificate, that your parents were involved too. I mean, I knew that they went and stood behind the people signing it, but I thought that was just you know, like a kind of weird support tradition. I don't know. I didn't think it was an actual legal thing. Well, it turns out that it is. They sign. I don't really know if it's on behalf of the family you came from or something like that, but they have to make a mark anyway. And the whole thing is a bit awkward because up until now, the only person who could make that mark was the father. So the father of the bride or the groom had to put their name down on the marriage certificate as well, which is a bit awkward if, you know you don't get on that well with your dad, for example, or they've died, or you just didn't want to invite them to your wedding. Or if you just feel like actually your family is best represented by your mum. Well, for the first time in England and Wales, mum's names will now appear on marriage certificates too. And there's been a big campaign around this, and I'm so pleased they've made it happen. It's a really good starting point for maybe all of us taking a bit of a look at some of the rituals associated with marriage and asking ourselves, are they just a bit outdated like you know wearing white to denote virginity or placing a ring on someone to denote ownership but you know each to their own anyway at least we can now admit that a woman had some part in creating either the bride or groom in question in other news this week the guardian ran a piece that really spoke to me all about how lockdown has changed our relationship with bras Apparently, post-lockdown, women everywhere are casting off their underwired bras and either freeing the nipple or, at the very least, going for something a little bit more comfortable. Now, as somebody who has been blessed with rather more than a handful, I really want to cheer this revolution because God only knows that my shoulders, back, boobs have suffered from bras for long enough. But (laughs) if I'm being totally honest, I have also got a bit lackadaisical with bra wearing over the lockdown period. I mean, not just with bras. I've got a bit lackadaisical with everything I'm wearing, really. There are days when, you know, I consider it a really kind of dressed up day if I'm actually wearing jeans. The other day I went out of the house having thrown a dress over what I was wearing, which was jeans and a t-shirt. I threw a dress over it just so I looked smart on a Zoom call and then left the house like that. 
didn't even stop to think that maybe it was a bit bonkers to be wearing a dress over a t-shirt and jeans. As you do. Anyway, back to bras. So yes, I've got a bit lax days to call with bras, but then the other day I did leave the house and I caught sight of myself wearing a bralette in a shop window. Now, obviously not just wearing a bralette. I was wearing a top over the bralette, but you know what I mean? I was wearing one of those bralette things, which sound very lovely, but really, if we're being totally honest, are not made for people with kind of bigger boobs than maybe a B cup. And I realized as I looked in the shop window that my boobs had just gone full 70-year-old matriarch. They were down around my waist. And as much as I want to be somebody who is totally comfortable with the aging process and not caring where my boobs are in relation to the rest of my body, I'm not. I used to have great boobs. They used to be anti-gravity boobs. They were right up at the top of my chest. They were brilliant. I don't want them around my waist. So I am going back to an underwired bra. And I feel like I'm letting you all down because of it. I'm sorry. Have you managed to give up bras? If you, and particularly if you've got bigger boobs, can you tell me how you've done that? Find me on social media at Harriet Minter and tell me what is your relationship with a bra like post lockdown? Are you still dating or have you consciously uncoupled? This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. A few weeks ago, I spoke to a brilliant consciously coupled couple all about their new book, Mixed Up. Tanika Smith is black and her boyfriend, Alex Court, is white. Here they talk about how that's impacted their relationship. Hello, thanks for having us. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. So let's start with the kind of classic couple stuff. Tell me, how long have you been together? How did you meet? So Tanika? I think we've been together about seven years. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and we've been, mar- been married for about five. Mm-hmm. And we met um, at um, our university. We were both doing a, a master's in journalism course and we talk about this in the book our first meeting um and uh yeah really just kind of started off as as friends and then um ended up living together as as flatmates and our relationship developed to something more and to think i can obviously from your accent people will have a clue where you're from but you would describe yourself as african-american right Yes, yes, yes. I am African American, yes. And Alex, you are white British. I am white British, born in London, yep. <laughs> and so when you first got together, did you notice those kind of cultural differences? And if so, what did you pick up on in the early days? I think in the in the early days when we were getting to know each other, there was a bit of lost in translation mm-hmm. and yeah. just more in the way that we talk, the way that we communicate, you know, Tanika can be, uh, you know, very direct as, as Americans often are, mm-hmm. whereas I tend to be more, you know, British and, um, you know, subtle, I would say. I call it like ter- talking in a circle almost. <laughs> and we having to figure that out. And sometimes when I think I'm being super clear, Tanika doesn't really understand what I'm, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Um, and sarcasm just going completely over my head (laughs) not at all I don't understand it at all (laughs) and so did you talk I mean there's this classic I was you were talking the thing that occurred to me which is you know two countries separated by one language um but did you talk about race early on in your relationship you know we did not talk about race at the start of our relationship and we really speak about this in the book yeah. and i know that many people might just kind of assume well i mean why why didn't you talk about it at the beginning but 
I mean, like, uh, if you're going on a date, bringing up yeah. race isn't exactly the easiest or most romantic conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we were we were just trying to get uh, to know each other. And maybe there was sort of a assumption that we both were on the same page about race because we're mm-hmm. both dating outside of our race. And so it wasn't really until years later uh, when we started finding ourselves in racial situations and Alex wasn't uh, reacting uh, the way that I had expected him uh, to react. And um, and so these things just started to, to kind of uh, build. And uh, I speak about that a lot in the book about how I felt like he didn't support me in the way that I needed, but at the same mm-hmm. time, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's my responsibility as well because we we just didn't talk about it, so he didn't know how to really. I just had never been in some of the situations that we describe in the book. Can you give us an been... example? Um, well, I mean, the the first thing is that we were inspired to write the book because uh, someone had seen me kiss Alex in the street and um, kiss him goodbye. Mm-hmm. And this person uh, followed me uh, into the street and I, I tried to lose him and they they spat in my face. <gasps> and um, so, you know, and we didn't know how to handle that like horrific situation. And I think Alex w- was shocked as well. I, mm-hmm. I, I think there, I, I was a little bit less shocked probably because I, I just, you know, experience microaggressions or different things like yeah. that. So as a black woman, I've experienced, you know, racism. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, experiencing discrimination, um, being an interracial couple wasn't a surprise to me. Um, and we were trying to find books about like other couples who talk about the racism they experience or how they approach race as a couple. And we just couldn't find any. And so uh, that's what inspired us to write the book. And we speak about some instances where they're about being in a store and I'm being followed and, you know, Alex doesn't notice and I'm, I'm asking him to, to let's hurry up and leave. And mm-hmm. he's debating whether or not to speak up for me because he's a, l- a little bit scared or uncomfortable too, or yeah. a friend saying something that's racially inappropriate, racially offensive. And he doesn't, you know, know how to defend me, but, mm-hmm. you know, sort of almost defends the friend, yeah. In some of the instances, I I just failed to see the racial element to it. And it was only after these, some of these incidents, like Tanika is is, is explaining, that that I had to really come to terms with the fact that we were in the same place at the same time, we witnessed the same thing, and what we saw were two different things. Two different things. And, And then that is what really led us to have, you know, quite a few conversations and debates around and sometimes um, arguments. <laughs> yes, I, I'm just <laughs> seeing the love, the lovely differentiation debates, arguments. Yeah. <laughs> and and that that's really when we decided we we should really find yeah sh- share these stories yeah, and, and try and try and help other couples that have experienced um, you know similar situations to us and similar challenges that we've had to face. But I mean, the book isn't like how to book, and it's mm-hmm. not just for mixed race couples because. We talk a lot about racism in general, discrimination, white privilege, yeah. massage noir that I experience in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And really you can just see the vastly lived experiences of 
walking through life as a black woman and that of a white man. And then there's even comparisons about, you know, how we're treated in the workplace um, as well. And one of the, I think one of the main lessons is that I just don't know what it's like for Tanika to, to go through life in the way that she does, what it's like for her to walk in her shoes. And uh, that is really the challenge. I mean, it is it is a real challenge and I I absolutely hear that because none of us know right none of us know what it's like to walk in anybody else's shoes and we can only take our sort of best guess at it but I think that certainly for a lot of white people the last year or two years has really forced us to open our eyes and look at ourselves and our kind of our own behavior and how how blind we've been to various things and I wonder for you, well, for both of you, but what kind of what impact 2020 and George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests and that real worldwide upsurge, how did that make the two of you look at your relationship? Uh, we were definitely having uh, conversations about that because... Mm you know, it would be on the news, I would be under a lot of stress and duress. Yeah. I wanted to be in the United States. Uh, you know, I, I saw all these protests going on um, during the pandemic and I just felt like I couldn't be there, like I couldn't, mm -hmm. you know, contribute or do anything. And so I think it really helped us because Alex, I mean, the, the racism, what was happening was just so out there yeah. in your face. Unfortunately, you had, you know, videos like the video of George Floyd that mm -hmm. really, I think, shifted a lot of thinking with many white people. But, you know, it, it shouldn't take a video of, of watching someone being murdered mm -hmm. um, to to do that. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of conversations. Um, I think Alex, I think there became a lot more empathetic in it and I think it just made us more comfortable talking about race because race was at the forefront of public conversation um and um what I saw going on in the house was like Tanika was very distressed and yeah. um you know she found it very also also hard to be dealing with a lot of questions from friends and, mm -hmm. and other people that we know who were coming to her to in some cases just express like oh gosh you know everything that's going on this must be a really hard time for you and um, I know they were trying to be empathetic, a lot of these people are trying to be supportive, but there were just so many different people coming to Tanika and on, on top of that, all the news mm -hmm. coverage. And I think that was one of the major moments when I realized it, it's really hard for me to be properly supportive and properly empathetic because I've never experienced a global moment like what we saw in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd mm -hmm. and, and felt so much about it. What does that mean that you do differently now, Alex? Definitely take the time to really listen to Tanika, mm -hmm. um, particularly when there are global events or even when she's experienced a, a personal instance of racial abuse or a microaggression. I think previously I, I wasn't really attuned to um, what her experience was like because I just was coming from the perspective that we must have the same the same kind of perspective, the same kind of experiences. Whereas now I just think I really realize the gaps in my own knowledge. Yeah, and I mean, there'd be instances where I might, um, 
you know, tell Alex a story and he might say, well, maybe that person was just having a bad day. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot less of that now. Um, mm -hmm. And just kind of believing that I'm, I'm the best witness to my own racial experience. So there's definitely been a change. And I think writing the book has definitely done um, a lot of that and, and reading about each other and our feelings about each other and what's happening in these racial situations has, has, yeah, made us grow, I think, definitely closer. I think that's a really great statement there, which is I'm the best witness to my own experience. And I think we should actually all be really taking that on board and hearing it, which is when somebody tells us something, their experience, they are the best witness of it. <laughs> that's their experience. Exactly. Yeah. I, I really like that phrasing. I wonder for you, Tanika, had you ever been in an interracial relationship before? And if so, how do you how did you deal with those times when actually you really wanted Alex's support, but he just couldn't quite get it? Um, so I I have been in uh, interracial uh, relationships before, mm -hmm. and um, I I didn't really talk about race in those relationships. I mean, I was quite young. Yeah. um as well um and then I think in terms of Alex uh just you know dealing with him not getting it th the thing is is that uh oftentimes we we do hear the phrase like m many uh black brown people people of color will say and rightly so that it's not our job yeah. to be accountable for teaching white people about racism right we're all responsible for ourselves but I I couldn't really say that yeah. being married to a white person, right? Because I I know him, I know he loves me, I know that he wants what's best for me and that there's not, uh, you know, there's no malicious intent behind him not understanding or not knowing how to be supportive. And so like, I, I do have to like, we do have to talk about it and, mm -hmm. and learn from each other. So I think uh, it, it was a 
interesting situation for me, I think, our our journey, because I couldn't just say, you know, um, well, it's not my job to teach you, you know, yeah. go read a book, um, <laughs> you know, uh, so it's, it's, I think it's definitely been a learning experience for me, uh, for sure. I think it's taken a lot of patience, because it, it's been many years now where we've in the way that I describe it in the book, it's like sometimes you take a few steps forward. I mean, from my perspective, I take a I take a few steps forward, and I think I I sort of understand what Tanika is talking about, or I have a better way of understanding um, what she's telling me about her own experience. And then other days, I feel no, actually, I really don't understand this at all. So it's not necessarily a one way uh, journey either. It's sometimes you go forward and you feel like you're making progress, and then one of the really frustrating things that I've found and I've experienced is actually then some days you feel like you're actually walking backwards. Um, it's not at all like riding a bike, trying to understand the difference between a white male perspective and a, and a black female perspective in a structure where there are so many, um, in, in a society where there's so many racist structures. And, and I think as well, uh, I think sometimes I, in conversations, I see some white people get offended at the, uh, at the suggestion that, mm -hmm. you know, they, might not know everything about about uh, the black experience or know any, everything about experiencing racism. And I don't think that's something that, you know, people should be ashamed of. I don't know, you know, what it's like to uh, be Asian mm -hmm. um, or, you know, uh, be be Muslim. I mean, and and if those if someone you know from is is telling me about their experience and about what they experience the discrimination they experience that's different to mine, um, that's something that I'm learning. I don't know everything about it, and so I think you know as a society we kind of have to move away from uh, this assumption that if we don't know everything about another person's race or religion or sexuality and they're correcting us um about it and trying to teach us about it that it's not a, sh a shameful thing not to know what matters is the respect to to listen and and believe them and and uh, uh, understand that we need to do this in order to progress and, and grow as a society i mean i think that's an incredibly generous way of looking at the world actually i is there, um, was there a defining moment when you decided, actually, we need to write about this? I think it was when we were reeling from Tanika being spat in, in her face. I mean, one of the things for me after that experience really was, I mean, real shock. Um, like Tanika was saying a bit earlier, um, and I, I was so, so offended and just so amazed that someone would take it upon themselves to say I to say so violently and and so clearly I do not appreciate the way you have chosen to live your life you, you must mm. change the living and you know this this is now this is this was happening you know this is just a few years ago um, and it's just completely unacceptable that that happened um, and speaking as as a husband more than anything else that, that happened to my wife mm. I I felt. Um, that no, we, 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 this has to change. We can't just allow for this to happen. Um, and, and then it was straight after that, that we were really looking for, I mean, particularly myself, I was really looking for books and trying to read, okay, I mean, does when this happens, how do you support someone that's been through something as, as violent and, and as traumatic as that? Because I really have no um, similar experience in my life. No one's ever come up to me and, and spat in my face. No one's ever hurt me or, said anything judgmental about the way I choose to live my life 
Mm. Um, and, and the fact that, that Tanika had to go through this was, was obviously really painful for her. Um, and I really wanted to, to fix it or do something about it. And when I realized there was so little out there in terms of literature, personal literature about what other interracial couples have experienced and how they've worked through similar things, I thought, let's do this. Um, and since then, it's been a, been a fascinating journey. If there is, sort of, just to round it up, you know, one thing that you would say from your experience for other couples, for other interracial couples, you've started dating, what would be a kind of piece of advice or wisdom that you would give them? I think the number one thing would absolutely be talk about race at the start of the relationship. I, I, I know that it's like difficult and some people think that it's like a simple thing and it's not an easy topic. We've had people, um, you know, from reading our book, um, our extracts, we had it as an audible original last year as well, mm -hmm. who have written to us and said, you know, I'm asking questions like, how do I get my white partner to talk to me about race they don't want to do it um one woman wrote that she you know her husband would walk out of the room literally um you know talking about race wow. refused to speak to her about it and they have two biracial children mm -hmm. and you know the relationship broke down um and and so it's absolutely vital because you're kidding yourself if you if you think that it's not going to come up at some point um you know especially if you if with children and, and and different aspects like that so i would say talk about it at the start of your relationship because to try to deny that whole racial part is denying the person who who is a person of color i mean i'm i'm grateful that i don't i don't have i've never had that issue with alex where he's just completely been like mm -hmm. i'm not going to talk to you about race um and um yeah it was it was you know surprising to hear you know those those stories and at the same time I think that you know couples should share their stories I mean it's really encouraged us and helped us to to hear stories from mixed race couples and they a lot of them have been appreciative to us putting our narrative out there um and and I, I think also in terms of the general public it's important to believe the stories that mixed race couples are, are telling we you know, um, had uh, a few extracts in, in the Sunday Times and mm. a, a lot of, a few people have, they don't want to believe that I was spat in my face yeah. because we were in a mixed race couple. It's just kind of this blatant denial, like, you know, they're making it up. It didn't happen. You know, there's, there's no way. And, um, and, and, and I think as a society, we really have a, a duty to, um, believe you know people when they're talking about their lived experiences and especially when it comes to racism. Tanika, Alex it's been so lovely talking to you just wise advice on mixed relationships but also just wise advice on relationships I think so thank you very much for sharing it with us. That was Tanika Smith and Alex Court and their new book Mixed Up is out now and finally this week when is it time to move out of home? So a listener sent me the following question. I moved back in with my parents during lockdown. I'm in my late 20s, so I've had about 10 years of living away from home, but lockdown was tough, and so I moved back. The big advantage to this has been that I've saved a lot of money. The downside is that I'm now missing my old life. My parents are keen for me to stay and keep saving so I can afford a payment on a house, but I want to go back to renting with my friends. What should I do? 
Okay, so there's some stuff kind of missing in this, which I'm not sure about. So I don't know if your parents live kind of close to where you work or whether you had a career in a different city and now you've gone back and you're doing a different job. You know, a lot of us essentially move out of home for work. So we've moved somewhere where there is more work and that means we've had to leave our home behind. And if that is the case with you, if actually your job options are being limited because of where you're living, if you feel you're not going to be able to get on in your career in the same way, then yeah, I would be taking a serious look at whether or not I would be able to move out, go back to renting and improve my career. Because if what we're looking at here is how do you save for, you save, save for a house, I assume you mean save for a deposit on a house. If what we're looking at is saving for that deposit, then it's a bit of a catch-22, right? Because you save money living with your parents, but potentially if your career isn't moving forward in the same way, you're not making as much money. So I would be weighing that up. The second thing is you say, you know, you miss your old life. Well, I really understand that. And I also really understand being in your 20s and feeling like life is really short, right? And that everything you're not doing now, you are not going to get the chance to do again. And to be honest, let me say as somebody who's nearly 40, that's true. There is stuff that you get to do in your 20s that people are not doing in their 30s and 40s. You are not going to go out until... 6am and have a hilarious story about getting the first train home after a night out in your 30s because honestly the hangovers are just too bad and you can't you just can't waste that time on them and you don't have the patience for your feet hurting in the same way that you do when you're in your 20s there's a whole load of stuff that in our 20s is really about living life and I can't say to anyone in all genuine honesty you should stay with your parents and save up for a house and not do any of that stuff because I know that is the sensible option but I think you miss out on some amazing stuff if you just do that that said if your parents live close to where your work is if your parents live close to where your friends live, if you are somebody who was living in the town that you are working and having a life in but you just moved out because you wanted some freedom then yes I would seriously consider thinking about staying at home Because saving for a house is really, really hard. And if you are lucky enough to have parents who will let you stay there for free so that you can save up, that is a golden opportunity. And I think it would be not remiss of you, but, you know, I think you might find that actually in your mid-30s, you end up moving back in with them again in order to save up. So maybe you want to take this time now. And to do that, there's some stuff that I think you really need to think about. So I'd be really honest with yourself about what is your relationship like with your parents? How honest can you be with them? Do they know about your life? Would they be happy with you living your adult life in your childhood home? Because quite often when we move home, our parents and us sort of revert to the age we were when we left, which for most of us is late teens. So if you can have a really honest conversation with them, you know, be honest about how do they feel if you go out and come back late at night? How would they feel if you brought somebody home? How would they feel if actually didn't come home because you were a bit pissed and you went home with one of your mates? What do they need to feel comfortable with you doing that? And what do you need to feel comfortable with you doing that? You know, have those honest conversations with them about how you can live as normal a life as you were living with them in the same house. And then I'd also think, you know, if you're finding it really hard, what can you do to speed up the process? So right now it should be easier because none of your friends are really out living amazing lives. None of us are. We're all still in lockdown. And I suspect even as lockdown lifts, probably we will find it not the same as we did before. 
right? We probably won't be going out to the same extent, certainly for a little while. I suspect that maybe in the autumn, perhaps we'll have a bit of a similar closing things down or at least a curfew situation, infection rates rise again. So just being prepared for all of that. It's not instantly overnight going to go back to where it was. So can you wait it out a little bit longer and can you speed up the process? Can you look at really trying to save really hard for the next few months? Can you think about making sure that you've got the best interest rate on your savings account? Can you take on some extra work to build up that pot and bring some more money in? Do whatever you can to speed up that saving process. Because even if you then decide that actually you're not going to stay with them until you've got that deposit sorted, you are going to go back to renting, you will still have a pot of cash that at some point you can use for a deposit. And this is the one thing I would say to you. If, like me, you have had in the past a bit of a tendency to be a bit of a spendthrift and to just throw the cash around when you've got it, take that savings and lock it up somewhere you can't touch it. Because now, I understand the desire to go out and be free and have some fun and be somebody in your 20s again, but you don't want to be regretting that in your mid-30s. So if you can, stay, save up, have some honest conversations with your parents, try and live a normal life. If that's not going to be possible, I think you should just go for enjoying your 20s while you can, but secure that pot of money, put it somewhere safe, don't fritter it away. And good luck with saving for a house. That's all for this week's show. But if you've enjoyed it, you can, of course, come find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the socials at Harriet Minter. And you can buy my book if you really, really liked it and you just wanted to be lovely. That would be great. WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office is out now. Otherwise, I will be back here again, same time, same place, next week. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chat. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 